Yo, dude. What's up? What's up? What's going on? Just uh, finding internet around here, you know, in the suburbs <laughs> of Portland, Oregon. Nice. What are you doing in Portland right now? Um, so there's a bunch of relatives I haven't seen in like four or five years. So I flew out here and we're going to drive down to my sister's graduation in California and see all those relatives. Oh, nice. I forgot about the graduation thing. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, a big deal. You know, she's graduating college, but then going to grad school. So we're just celebrating more college. (laughs) (laughs) It is kind of weird. It's like, hey, I'm I'm partway through. Let's have a party. Yeah, like, do you get a gift now and after grad school? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's like getting married 12 times, and every time you get married, you get more gifts. Yeah. Wow. I should have started getting married more often earlier. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think about that sometimes with friends that have been married multiple times. I'm just like, why am I going to buy you something again? Why am I going to go to another wedding to another marriage that's going to end in two years? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly the outlook you should have going to a wedding. I like it. (laughs) Just be like realistic with the stats. Yeah. Like, just so you know, most marriages end in this many years. So just, just end it now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you've already had one in, so I mean, the uh, law of averages, this is going to happen again. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe there's something wrong with you at this point that you should figure out before you like <laughs> ruin someone else's life. No, come on, another marriage, it'll solve everything. <laughs> so, you're, I've, oh, what? oh, I was going to say, what Casper for Bighorn is that what you're out there for? Are you running? No. So, um, I was actually, I was in Boulder doing a film shoot with, um, with Hayden for state stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I'm, I don't know, Ultraspire and I have been kind of talking about doing a film, um, with Jeff Browning cause he's doing the Rocky mountain slam and okay. it's been back and forth, but I was like, like, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. And obviously it's the week of, so it's probably not going to happen, but <laughs> I was like, well, I'm only like six ish hours away and all my travel to states is going to get paid for so i'm like i might as well just come up here and like start shooting and maybe we can make something out of it and like eh, it's kind of kind of rolling the dice and taking the chance on like if anything will happen with it but if anything it's cool to be up here so can't complain yeah he's running the 100 there yeah so he's for the rocky mountain slam he's doing big horn 100 hard rock and then uh, wasatch and the bear Oh, you mean Sedona 125 didn't fit into the Rocky Mountain Slam? We'll have to make one called the Arizona Slam, I guess. <laughs> I mean, come on, that was low-hanging fruit. He better have won by 12 hours. Dude, honestly, like, <laughs> like, obviously he just, like, he ran his race and stuff, but I'm like, okay, no one competitive ran it. It's the very first year of it, and, like, he should, he, there's no reason why he shouldn't have won by that many hours. Like, come on. Yeah, no, we have all joked about that at a lot of people because it's just like, I mean, he went out there, did well, and won, but it was like not competitive at all. Yeah, exactly. Like when I was out there, we didn't see anybody the entire day, like that was running the 125. Besides at the start, and it's just kind of like, okay, he's just running his own 125 mile like event. Yeah, I need to ask him for racing advice. Just pick out the least competitive races for me. Yeah, no joke, dude. So do you think he wins Bighorn? Um, I don't know, honestly. Like, I haven't even looked at who's running. And he's ran it before. Is, my pick is David Ayala. Who's that? Exactly. <laughs> Did he just pick some random dude on Ultra Sign Up? No, he lives in Bozeman. He's won. He just doesn't like to travel the races, but he's won a bunch. So I'll bet you $1 that he wins it. 
Dude, I'll I'll take up your bet on that. I'll bet you a dollar. Okay, here we go. Man, <laughs> hopefully inflation kicks in so it means less to me. It's gonna be worth like 30 cents next week. <laughs> I know. At this rate, it's a quarter tank of, a quarter gallon of gas. Dude, where do you buy gas at? <laughs> well, Montana, it's like 350. So oh nice. When yeah. I lived in Arizona, it was like 450. And I was like, this freaking sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I know our lives are so hard. Dude, this is it just sucks and it's like, okay, you're gonna budget things and it's like, oh now fuel is this much and then food is this much and then it changes next week and you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Yeah, I mean the world we live in, everything's changed in the last few years. That's for sure. What's up, Mike? Um, yeah, up, Mike, guys? are you here? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Cool. <laughs> um do we want to just all turn our cameras off since yours is off, Derek? Or what do you think? No, you guys can keep them on. Um, I think it'll be cooler like to have some video. Okay, cool. I just figured people don't want to see the inside of my truck and me just sitting here. So, I think that's exactly what they want to see. Is yeah, that what the not? people want to see? <laughs> <laughs> my disgustingly dirty truck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I want to see always. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you next time I see you, whenever that is. Okay. Yeah. It'll just be somewhere random, like Silverton or something. Oh yeah. Are you coming out to Hard Rock? You know, I kind of live where I don't really know what I'm doing. So we'll see <laughs> I where like I that. end up. <laughs> uh, I actually, I feel you on that one right now. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you ended up in Casper. I know, dude, I actually kind of like it. Like Wyoming's sweet. Like it's super quiet. People are nice. Like I'm having a good time so far. It's better yeah. than Boulder. That's for sure. Well, don't visit Montana because it's even better and you'll just stay. <laughs> I, I'm saying I like it right now, but I've been up here in the winter. Like I dated a girl that lived oh. like an hour from Casper and like for Thanksgiving and Christmas, a couple years we were up here and I'm like, this place blows. Like it's so <laughs> cold and windy. Like it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think I race more in the winter than the summer? It's to get out of the great white north. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame you. <laughs> Maybe Mike should take that approach too. Oh yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> what do you have coming up, Mike? Are you racing anything notable? Um, right now I'm 14th on the wait list for Western States. Oh yeah, you're on a lot of wait lists, aren't you? Yeah. Well, no, just that one. <laughs> okay. But yeah. yeah. So you train like you're running it, and it's like a week and a half away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like. Should I do a long run this weekend or not? It's hard to know. <laughs> wow. That is so weird with so little time. Do they cut it off at some point or could it be like two days before and you're in? Yeah, I've been there um, for ultra when I worked there mm -hmm. and there's like sometimes people that get let in the morning of the race. <laughs> so you have travel plans out there and be prepared and everything. I mean, I'm going to wait to see what happens this week, but as of now, I'm just planning on showing up and hoping I'll, I get in. Wow. What a weird thing to train for. You might I know. not, you might not. <laughs> I know. I'm still tired from Coca Dona, though, so it's not going to hurt me to take it easy and not get yeah, in. Yeah, take it whatever. easy by working out every single day for an hour plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah taking it easy for us is a little bit different than most people yeah it's nice to be there <laughs> <laughs> well should we get rolling
Yeah, let's do this. Um, Mike, how much time do you have? I have a call in an hour. Okay. Does that work for you too, Jeff? Yep. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, so basically I think we're, I'm recording now, but we'll do the intro here in a second. Um, But yeah, basically just want to like talk about Cocodona and just kind of like chit chat about that and like training and um, obviously eating because that's what we talk about a lot and just have a good time and chat about it. So no real structure, more of just kind of hang out and talk. Okay. And my opinions are definitely wrong for sure. Well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? I don't know. We'll we'll see where the conversation goes. No, I think it's really fun that you guys do this and have actual opinions versus like the generic don't want to name any podcast where it's just like all praise and everything is the right way to do it versus it's good to have opinions. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> don't get us started. <laughs> that said jeff we're you're not on the show just so we can like call you out on stuff like we really just want to talk (laughs) perfect yeah but don't think it's like some sort of setup (laughs) no i'm not worried don't worry i get called out enough on the internet (laughs) oh dude (laughs) we should talk about footwear (laughs) yeah yeah i'll put out my kit (laughs) i think you're doing the intro derek all right um cool you guys good to go jeff you good yes he shook his head yes yep. Derek. oh yeah, okay you're not looking at, at video are you um i kind of am but it cuts back and forth because i'm just on my phone so it's okay. like sometimes it's just mike sometimes it's just you okay i won't nod i'll verbally agree <laughs> okay <laughs> uh and just to double check uh jeff real quick it's garmeyer right that's how you say your last name nailed it yep Cool. Um, so I'll do like a very, very brief intro, then have you intro yourself, just like name where you're from and like whatever, and then we'll just kind of roll from there. Cool. Awesome. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Today we're here with Jeff Garmeyer. We're going to chat about Cocodona 250, um, through hiking, and of course, food. So, Jeff, do you want to give yourself a quick little intro and we can take it from there? Yeah. My name is Jeff Garmeyer, 32 years old, grew up in Vancouver, Washington, which is not Vancouver, BC, and it's not Washington, DC. It's right next (laughs) to Portland, Oregon on the Washington side. Um, Yeah. And for 12 years ago, I went on a through hike and I got addicted and I'm still finding ways to get on the trails. How many um, FKTs do you have, Jeff, or have you had throughout your career? I think it's over 20, but I'm not a numbers guy, which will make this probably real interesting as we get into numbers and stats and stuff. But yeah, I think it's over 20. But as you know, a few of those are special and a few of them just kind of happened. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your most, uh, <clears throat> do you have like a notable or like most memorable FKT, most prized FKT? I think two of them. So the Arizona trail, I don't have it anymore, but that was like my first one where I had the intention of going out and getting an NFKT trained in the winter, went out there, learned a lot along the way, had a lot of issues, but got it and broke Mike Versteeg's name drop, uh, supported record by going self-supported. And so that was a big eye opener of like, maybe I can do more of these. So the first one that kind of opened the door and then did like five more that year. And then the one last August, the John Muir trail was pretty special because the whole thing, I didn't quite know if I could even go that fast. So it was this battle of 
like overcoming the doubt on if I can even make it. And even 25 miles from the end, it was like neck and neck with the record. So that one just had that. I think people don't think about the spirit of competition or something when you're out there alone on an FKT, but that one sure was competitive for three days. Yeah, <laughs> just about three days. It was just this push. And that one is super special because that's the one I wanted to get for, I don't know, half a decade or so. And then finally got it. And now I could probably retire if I wanted. <laughs> Sorry, that was a loud laugh. <laughs> um, how much did you end up beating that FKT by? Um, a full 13 minutes. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a sprint. Like, I think I was running like 640s at mile 220 just to get under that record. And I'd, I'd done the entire trail except for the last 11 miles. And so I didn't exactly know where the end was because you go down switchbacks and I didn't know how many there were. So I'm just sprinting and like, I don't know how much further I have to go. I didn't, don't even know the exact distance of everything. So that was pretty scary. I was running so fast and didn't want to stop or anything that I just tried to pee on the go and just peed all over myself too. So that's giving it all right there. Man, when you're like 13 minutes, that that's uh you got to do that kind of stuff, right? That's wild. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like four minutes a day. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, I'd love to see your heart rate data. <clears throat> I mean, going that pace that far in, and then probably the adrenaline just kicking through your veins. Like, I imagine your heart rate was through the roof for those final couple miles. Yeah. So, like 20 miles to go, I was trying to do like the hobble, and then I woke up on the ground so I'd fallen asleep while trying to run and then I got up and started to go again and it was like I have no chance of moving for 20 miles so I took a 10 minute nap woke up and I think I got some crowns on the climb up Mount Whitney like I sprinted up that thing I've never had so much adrenaline pump through my veins so it was an out-of-body experience for sure <laughs> now I don't want to spend too much on this so we can start talking about like nutrition and stuff with you, but so does the John Muir trail end on top of Whitney? So it does, but the FKT ends at Whitney portal. So once you climb it, you have to backtrack about two miles and then descend eight or nine miles down to the trailhead. So every oh. John Muir trail hiker can check off the John Muir trail on top of Whitney. But if you have the FKT, you get to the top of Whitney, can't spend any time and start running back down. Dang, that's wild. <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not an easy trail. Holy cow. That downhill's not easy, easy or it's easy the either. Worst. It's it's probably the worst trail I've done. It's rocky, <laughs> steep like a million switchbacks, lots of people. And I was, trying yeah. to, I was trying to ask people coming up, like how much further it is to the trailhead. And I got like 10 different answers. So it's just like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just need to run. <laughs> and it doesn't help that those final like four or five or whatever miles, like it looks like you're a mile from the trailhead, yeah. but you just have so many freaking switchbacks to get down there. Yeah. You're like half a mile as the crow flies and like three more miles of running. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so debilitating <laughs> yeah tough end but 13 minutes you know that's all it takes <laughs> oh, that's awesome congrats on getting that that was was that what year did you get that august 2022 so not that long ago maybe oh. eight months yeah so you did that after cocodona last year then <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I should have won FKT of the year for it, but I got third. So, you know, great <laughs> voting. Uh, FKT.com, hopefully you're listening to this. Yep, exactly. Contentious here. <laughs> you're not bitter by any means. That's obvious. No, I'll have to go back this year and do it again just to get that number one spot one of these years. <laughs> well, um, cool, Jeff. Well, we're excited to have you on and chat. Um, the, a big reason that I wanted to bring you on is I know that you were having digestive issues at Cocodona this year. Um, and like, I have no idea how or why it turned around for you. Um, just to give some context, we shared um, my story a few weeks ago. And I, so for those who don't know, Jeff Garmeyer is the one that helped talk me out of quitting at Camp, Camp Kippa. <laughs> um, him and Pete Kostelnik did a wonderful job at talking me out of it. Um, but Jeff was having stomach issues, um, or so he told me. So do you want to share a little bit about what was going on for those first 70 miles for you, Jeff? Yeah. So I live in Montana and we don't have a lot of heat or any exposure in the months leading up to Cocodona. And I'm really bad at heat already. So I think that was a huge factor in all my issues. But, you know, start off, go pretty conservatively, because I know it's like just survive the first 33 miles. And at mile 18 or so, I'm not feeling that good. And I see Sally McRae out there and she's like, we're talking and I'm like, ah, just not feeling that good. She's like, you want a Tylenol? It's like, sure. So I take it and then we talk for another minute and I immediately start projectile vomiting everywhere. Oh. <laughs> and it continued all the way to Lane Mountain. So about 15 miles worth of that and doing terribly, can't keep down even water or food or anything. So I've lost all nutrition from the race so far. And um, I think it was pretty much due to heat out there and just not being ready for it. Uh, I could have gone down and done the training camp with you, Mike, but I, you know, it didn't seem like that helped either. Call <laughs> um, me but, out. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. I just really struggled in the, the heat. And then from mile 33 to about camp Kippa. So 36 miles or so um, it became, I like to break things up and treat them pretty analytically. And it's like, well, I can probably get by without, many calories for a few hours, but this water thing, like it's going to end my race. So it became this uh, thing for like by midnight, I have to be able to keep down enough water to be sustainable. And then after that, it was like over the next eight or nine hours, I have to focus on keeping down enough food so that, or any calories in general, doesn't even matter what it is that I can fuel myself and keep going because as you know, it's 180 miles left, which anything can happen in there. But that first day, after six or seven hours just became this puzzle of first water's number one and then calories and nutrition became number two of just I have to solve these things or running this race nothing matters because I will my body will just fail <laughs> <laughs> so is that your first time taking Advil or Tylenol like that early in a race yeah, I don't really know why I took it. And I was probably going to start throwing up and have stomach issues either way. But I think that was like that little trigger might have come 30 minutes or an hour earlier. And I don't know when you're offered something new and you think it might uh, fix it. <laughs> it was like, okay, I'll give it a try. I feel awful. This could turn everything around. And 
It it did not. <laughs> uh, I wonder. I wonder if Sally actually gave you some Tylenol. Maybe it was something else. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Didn't matter because it didn't even make it into my stomach. It was it was out on the ground somewhere. Oh man, <clears throat> that's the worst. And so, um, are you still there, Derek? By the way. Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, just to give some context, Derek doesn't have video today, so it's hard to know if he's paying attention or not. <laughs> oh, I'm totally paying attention. I'm just back here laughing. I'm on my way to uh, Bighorn 100, so that's why there's no video feed today for me. He didn't uh, do his hair okay. and makeup for this call. <laughs> exactly. My hair and makeup person's uh, not with me at the moment. <laughs> know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, we can tell. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll take it. Whatever. um well so so let's see so from did you say lane mountain to camp kippa kippa that's when you were throwing most of most of the race where you were throwing up was in that section yeah at um shoot arastra creek mile 50 ish is probably where it peaked of I was not feeling good. I like laid down at the aid station for about an hour, just was trying to sip water slowly. And then after that, once it was cold in the middle of the night, that's where I thrive. And so I was okay to kind of push a little bit more and things came back together a little bit. But yeah, that Lane Mountain to, I don't know, probably mile 18 to mile 55 were just peak pain and it's so hard when you feel like that because you're trying to get the thoughts out of your head like oh i only have over 200 miles to go this is going to be wonderful so <laughs> um it, it really was this just trying to focus on little things like get in a tiny sip of water or something and it doesn't i mean does that sip of water matter that much probably not but it's more like mental of okay, I'm keeping water down. Like I still have a chance. You got to give yourself like a little kernel of hope to even move on because yeah, it's pretty embarrassing to do a 50 K and be hurting that bad. And then have 220 <laughs> miles to go. Were you able to do any electrolytes at all? Or were you puking all that up too? Yeah, I was puking all that up. Um, I did start getting in some salt around, um, crown king so that was pretty key i think in slowly getting my body back to some baseline level but yeah it was such a long process i've never had something that took that many hours while exerting yourself in a race to try to repair on the run so <laughs> so i'm curious before we talk a little bit about what you did to reverse all that and because <clears throat> your race obviously turned around but um, I'm curious to know, you have a lot of through-hike experience, and I mean, how many, how many like, actual races have you done? Maybe 10 now. Um, my first, so my second ever ultra marathon was an attempt at the Barkley Marathons. Um, so that was my second race. My first was a 50K in 2017, and I uh, had digestive issues there because I got to the top of the first climb, and they had bacon there and it was like oh this sounds good and I ate like 10 pieces of bacon and in a 50k you probably don't need to do that so I learned that uh, I, was, I was like 26 and then I didn't race for four years got into the Barkley did a loop out there but was too slow and then I don't know a month after that I did Cocodona to yeah in 2021 and actually some people tweeted out a screenshot of the entrance list. And it was like 
one result of 50K of my <laughs> name. And they're like, how is this guy even in this race? It was pretty <laughs> hilarious, but it was all the FKT experience. And I didn't, so that first year of Cocodona, I didn't even know how drop bags worked. I thought that they would like follow you down the course. So I made two of them and was like, cause I didn't have a crew or pacers or anything. So I took two bags up to the truck and they're like, where are these going? And it was like, oh, I don't know, like <laughs> anywhere, like, aren't they going everywhere? And so I uh, oh, set yeah. one to the halfway point or something and then put a spare pair of socks in my bag. And that's how I ran the first year of Cocodona of just change socks on the run like a through hiker. <laughs> Holy cow, that's wild, dude. <laughs> a lot of legs since then. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot about racing and that you can have pacers and crew. And I also learned that trail running isn't a hundred percent running. That was a really good lesson to learn. <laughs> Did you try running Melissa Cocodona that first year? Well, at least my first 50 K I thought you had to run up like the first hill. I thought I, it was like 4,000 feet of gain in seven miles. And it's like, Oh, I, I think you're supposed to like <laughs> run all of this. So yeah, I, uh, it's been, it's been quite a process of learning and yeah, Cocodona that first year just had, no idea what I was doing. And once again, had heat problems out there, which is a common theme, but I keep ignoring it. We all do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm curious to know, because I've only tried two FKTs. Um, so you obviously are well, a lot more well seasoned than I am. And I even think Derek, how many FKTs have you gone after? Um, I've done a few as far as like actually completing or accomplishing them, just a couple. Um, I've tried the Arizona trail and it's, it beat me up multiple times. So, so yeah, <laughs> that trail yeah we have the Arizona trail in common. I can give you guys some tips if you guys want. Dude, Let's I'm at the point now where I want to ride it on my bike and not even run it or hike it anymore. <laughs> and carry your bike across the Grand Canyon. That sounds rough. I saw a girl doing that last week. I'm actually going to do a podcast with her next week about it. Whew. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck taking your bike through the mazel tals and the superstitions. <laughs> oh, well, that's all wilderness though. So um, you detour around that. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm curious to know, I guess probably with both of you, but more you, Jeff, um, where you've had such an intense background with through hiking and FKT attempts, and now you're about 10 or so races into your ultra running or I guess ultra racing career. Um, what have you seen the differences in terms of like, do you get digestive issues when you're doing a through hike? Um, Cause I, like you brought up the whole bacon thing at that 50 K and like, from my experience, yeah, you're eating a lot more real food when you're doing through hikes and FKT attempts versus these shorter races where you have to go faster, which is obviously harder on your stomach. So I'm just curious to see your, or hear your thoughts on the differences like nutrition wise between the two areas and then also digestive like if you have less issues when you're doing through hikes yeah it is a lot more real food and centered around uh calories per ounce in through hiking or fkts and i do most of them most of them um unsupported or self-supported so you're really thinking about weight because you're carrying it for so long versus uh ultras and racing and stuff is a whole different ball game because there's you know, an aid station every 10 to 20 miles or so. So it's been this big change and I've shifted to doing a lot more training in those like 20 mile run type thing with 
a lot more running specific food or working on electrolytes or things like that versus like when you're out there fast packing or through hiking or something, you really are just, it's like almost constant snacking versus fueling. And I think there's a bit of a difference there. Like you'll have more, I don't know, just easy to eat things that you can eat while moving on a through hike because you're not, or a FKT because you're not probably going to do seven days of gels. So it's been this big process of incorporating a little bit of both strategies into, um, into, I don't know, going after like hundred miles or 250 mile races. It's still finding that middle ground and trying to train where, you know, you're running a lot more, you're attacking a hill a lot more. And especially if it's a 20 mile day, you need to learn where, like, is it climbing or is it flat or downhill? Like, where are you getting in your nutrition or how much water should you drink or something where it's a lot more intuitive when you're moving at four to five miles an hour for, I don't know, 12 days. So it's really, it's really unique because I'm coming down in distance in 2016. I did an 8,000 mile uh, calendar year, triple crown in 2018. I did a 7,000 mile great Western loop. So the distances don't scare me. It's just figuring out how to attack these distances and feel better throughout them. So it's been a fun puzzle to solve. And it's always fun to talk to ultra runners and people getting into the sport and jumping up in distance because it feels like the shorter races and things like that scare me or at least uh, have more questions for me than the longer things. (laughs) That's so wild. (laughs) holy cow (laughs) do you have anything that you want to add to that Derek with your through hiking experience yeah like I well first off I think it's interesting how like in the ultra running world I think a lot of people are just obsessed with long distance things in general and like hard kind of contrived experiences and so like I don't know doing a long trail FKT or a long race is just fascinating people are even like riding or just something like things that are hard it's just really fascinating to me and it was actually funny, like yesterday on my way up, because um, I'm in Wyoming right now, um, I passed through the CDT and I actually thought mm-hmm. about you, Jeff. I'm like, oh, I think Jeff has done this before. <laughs> yeah, only um, twice. Yeah. Only twice. twice. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, not to get too far off topic, but I just thought it was interesting because it was all stormy in the afternoon. Like, it was just interesting, like how high and like crazy that trail is. Like, I never have been on it before. And it seems like it's a lot of like logistical planning to do something of that length because obviously you start up like like on the border and you go border to border and it's just like drastically different environments so like how do you even plan for something like that because i think like a shorter race it's only one or two days it's relatively easy to plan and like weather wise and stuff but when something is like months long like how do you plan like clothing and gear and nutrition for something of that that length? yeah it's it's a really good question because i think it's really interesting in the juxtaposition on on both of them so like a through hike or an fkt you're so engaged on every aspect from water like current water conditions where there's going to be a creek um how like i proportion my food by day and so i'm eating through at the sustainable amount and even weather of well there's a thunderstorm coming in so i have to get up earlier or i have to Um, go later into the night so that I'm not on this ridgeline during a thunderstorm. And those things are so engaging and you're figuring that out on the fly versus 
like I did Beaverhead 100K last year. And on the last 10 miles or so, you're on this long ridge line and there's like a storm coming in, but everyone's just blindly charging across it. And I just, you know, you follow because it's a race and everything, but it's just such a different way of rather than being super present on the surroundings and timing and having everything fit together perfectly with a little bit of flexibility in an FKT. In a race, it's like get from the beginning to the end as efficiently as and as fast as possible. And it eliminates a lot of those uh, variables that I really got really good at on the through hikes and FKTs. So it's a very different way of planning because now it's very focused on how early and often do I need to eat and drink? What is going to work well for fueling myself and kind of, yeah, like pacing and things like that are huge parts of ultra running and racing versus like an FKT. I always, so started working with a few people, coaching them on like FKTs and stuff like that. And um, I always think of them in 24 hour blocks of just like, oh, there's a thunderstorm or there's some like uh, you're tired at 10 p.m. and you already uh, plan for three hours of sleep. You can sleep from 10 to 1 a.m. and get up and go from there. So it's like this rolling 24 hour clock until you get to the end. And there's so much less flexibility in racing because you're not going to sleep during hundred K uh, that that part has been really fun and really difficult to grasp that concept. Cause even an FKT I've had some, or I tell everyone like on that first day, the clock doesn't start until you start. So don't use your alarm that first morning, just sleep in as long as your body wants and then have your coffee or have your breakfast, do whatever, have a good morning. And then you're ready to go and you can start whenever Whereas Beaverhead started at 4 a.m. And that was just a nightmare. Like it starts at 4 a.m. I was in the bathroom when the start pistol went off. So I had to, like my body had to go and it was like, it'll be better to do this now than at mile five. But yeah, it's, it's just this really, I love it and love getting into it because there's so many variables that I never thought of. And when you're alone in the woods, you think you're facing everything out there, but there's this whole slew of new things and, uh, just new factors to consider during a race and gear is a lot easier during a race. Cause you just kind of pack like maybe your rain jacket or your windbreaker and then your nutrition, but a through hike, you just take into account all those variables. I make a spreadsheet of resupply locations, how much, um, if it's like a really long one of resupply locations, how many calories or how many days of food I want and then kind of a miles per day miles to the next spot type of breakdown so I plan the through hikes in this way that's usually day by day but really flexible throughout the day so if you're exhausted at yeah like I said 10 p.m you can call it a night but you'll make it up the next morning type of thing rather than a race is very rigid it's something that I find interesting and like I'm very much guilty of this so maybe that's why I'm thinking about it is like um, the first time I was going to do a, like the Arizona trail, for example, I was like, oh, you only do 50 miles a day. Like you put that on paper, you're like, oh, I could walk 20 minute miles or 15 minute miles, like whatever. It's not a big deal. But then you factor in all the things like setting up camp at night, eating, going to the bathroom. If you're in town, like buying food, stuff like that. And all these little things add up and it really brings your like average pace down or up quite a bit. And I think a lot of people don't factor that in or realize that maybe until they're like stuck in the moment, like, oh crap, like 
maybe that's why people only sleep three to four hours a night because you have so many things to do versus in a race where it's like you can just kind of like shuttle through an aid station pretty quickly grab your food grab whatever gear you need and go and it's just like a lot less planning i guess yeah it's um really about efficiency on the through hikes and i've tried to incorporate that into racing but there's just less ability to make up anything because everyone's pretty efficient like even at the world's last weekend you see them just running through grabbing bottles it's like well if i'm 10 percent more efficient i made up two seconds great for me so it's a lot harder to translate that but yeah the through hiking fkt world is all about efficiency i can set up camp in like seven minutes and pack up in the morning in five minutes so i've only lost about two-thirds of a mile of time just by going from sleeping to moving whereas you don't get to do that during a race and coming from my oh go ahead Derek. sorry no go, go ahead mike i was just gonna say like trying to soak in everything that you're saying from like my fkt experience i've only had two experiences like the colorado trail and the arizona trail and just hearing how you were speaking about like, like basically the, the things went south for me on the Arizona trail when I stopped prioritizing, like getting in those three to five hours of sleep each day, and then actually focusing on the mileage, like that's when things started to really go backwards for me. And so, you know, just agreeing essentially that like these longer trail FKT attempts, like you know, looking at it in a 24 hour block versus the mileage, it's like super critical, at least from my limited experience um, out there. Yeah. And I think the FKT world is where at least I feel pretty confident in knowing how to attack them and anything that's probably over three days, I just separate into three different segments. Like the first one is finding your pacing and your rhythm. The middle one, set yourself up and the last, um, segment or the last piece of the puzzle is that final push where you just get rid of sleep start hallucinating and sprint (laughs) to the finish but I think it is really unique style of you have to have enough in you at the end to make that final push or else you never even get a shot at going for that FKT no like you you lose so like until you've been there like you have no idea how little energy you can have if you don't do those things right when you get that far into these things and like you really cannot finish if you just don't do it right (laughs) and it compounds too like losing a night of sleep on day four of a two-week effort is going to impact day five six all the rest (laughs) of the entire trip and that's what makes it so hard you have to be so diligent in at least sticking with a decent plan early and then at some point the plan goes out the window, but the longer you can stick with that plan, the better shot you have at getting that FKT. Yeah. So while we're on this, before we transition back to Coca Dona, what what are you typically packing nutrition wise for these? So do, I guess this is a two part question. Are, do you typically do unsupported or self supported FKTs? Uh, unsupported, if it's at all feasible, like the Colorado Trail, I did unsupported which was a nine day carry, which was insane. I'll never do that again. But usually if it's that long, like the Arizona trail was self-supported, but if I can unsupported, I love that it's me relying on me. I'm just present with what I got. And if something goes wrong, I have this set of tools in my pack and I have that to figure it out. Um, So I just love that self-reliance aspect of unsupported and then self-supported is 
not too much different, but you do get to do shorter carries and resupply and stuff. So lean towards unsupported, but some stuff's too long to do unsupported. Yeah. <laughs> and for those who don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff and Derek, but self-supported, you can go along the trail ahead of time and like put down caches and like items that you're going to need. So you're essentially self-supporting yourself and then unsupported is you just have to carry everything, right? Yep. Unsupported. Yeah. Even you have to carry your trash once you eat your candy bar. Um, <laughs> and uh, even so self-supported, you can even shop at a grocery store or pick up something from a post office. It's basically all under your own power using the amenities afforded to everyone for the most part. So grocery cool. stores, creeks, all that stuff. So when you're doing these, Jeff, what are you typically eating? Um, lot, I try to, the main things I try to limit sugar and stuff. Uh, when I was younger, like 12 years ago, just experienced sugar rushes like none other. The classic through hiker diet is like a lot of candy and stuff. And it's really good for like an hour. And then you have to take like a siesta or something in the <laughs> afternoon. So I don't know, a lot of things that have more uh, fat, I guess, has always been a big thing. And I think of nutrition as like 80% what you should eat healthy, good for fueling your body, what works for you. And then 20% is emotional. Like, I don't know why, but I love goldfish crackers. So those are like my emotional thing. It's the right amount of salt. And they're like a cracker that like is satisfying. It, I don't get it either. <laughs> But that's like my 20% where these are not that great calorie per ounce. These really aren't great overall, but it improves my mood. So I think of nutrition as kind of that. And it's a lot like uh, even like coconut, um, like coconut balls or things like that are pretty good because super high calories per ounce from coconut, like one of the best out there. And uh, that kind of thing where it's fat, slow burning, um, that type of thing. And then... So yeah, in the FKT world, that's really what it's based on still figuring out the ultra world, but I don't know, trying to figure out the right amount of gels and things to, and goos and stuff to take versus like now they're like liquid calorie options and then more full food options out there. But yeah, I'm still figuring that out, but everything in the FKT world is really based on more real food that's going to I don't know, have a lot more energy than a candy bar. Yeah, so I, are you, I find that, oh, so, I was gonna say, I find that really interesting because it's like if you're running like a 50K, 100K or whatever, it's like, you can just do glucose the entire time and that's fine. Yeah. But, um, but then like, obviously when you're through hiking, it's like, you're not at like these high heart rates for the most part. Like, yeah, maybe if you're doing a big climb or like sprinting at the end of the JMT or something. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it doesn't make any sense to eat candy bars all day. Cause like, yeah, you're going to eat a lot of sugar, but then you're going to have that huge crash afterwards. Like you were saying, whereas like when you're in zone one or zone two, most of the day, uh, as far as heart rate and effort goes, you're like fats are the ideal um, energy source. Yeah. You want your energy level, especially on many multi-day FKT to just be like as flat as possible at a sustainable level. And I think the biggest thing that I've tried to eliminate for the most part is sugar and maybe it just affects me more but it's these massive highs and lows which make the highs you push too hard and the lows you can't push at all and just finding that middle ground whether it's I don't know some nuts or I don't know anything anything out there I, that's good calories per ounce but also that 
um, high level, just anything with fat seems to work pretty good for, for me of sustaining that flat line of energy rather than the peaks and valleys. I'm guessing you do a lot of dehydrated meals. Is that? Well, I don't cook really on an FKT. So it's really sort of snacking the entire way. I would say more than anything. Okay. Back in my younger days when they were more through hikes, cooking was pretty sweet. (laughs) So I think you brought up something interesting too, to take a little step back, but um, I preach the 80, 20 rule too. Uh, Personally. You probably stole it from me. I know. Yeah, I think so now that you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. It's out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, Even though I personally don't like necessarily follow it in my day to day, like I just feel good like sticking to how I eat 100% of the time. Um, But I do believe that it's beneficial for people who can allow that flexibility. Um, But I do think it's interesting that you said this, and I would agree with you that when you're in night four, night five or whatever, and like you're cold, you're tired, like you're mentally compromised, like there's real power in eating food for emotion. Like yep. the whole oh, yeah. goldfish thing. Like I totally get that. Like, you know, for me, it's something different, but like <laughs> when you're just cold and sad and tired and you don't want to continue like that emotional support food, <laughs> uh, it really does yeah. lift up your spirits and help you keep going. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like, over 50% of it's mental. So I always think of it as you have tools in your toolkit and some of them can be food. And if that's going to improve your mental state, that's a lot more valuable than, I don't know, the small peak or valley of a quick carb or a processed food. It's sort of like, who cares if you can mentally get back to where you need to be and then you can keep working with your body. And I would say in day-to-day life, I'm probably like 95% eat good and 5% is ice cream because ice cream is so good. (laughs) I can understand that. (laughs) Have you ever heard of a Ninja creamy? No, I don't think so. So my uh, ice cream addiction was so bad that I, there's this thing it's called Ninja creamy and you essentially like you can mix up a protein shake and freeze it for 24 hours and then stick it in this device and it turns it into like an ice cream consistency. And so It's been a game changer for my ice cream addiction. <laughs> so you get ice cream, but you get the health benefits of not ice cream. Yeah. Wow. Life hack right here. <laughs> and if you want to take it a step further, you can make a smoothie like with fruits and stuff and protein powder, milk or whatever, and freeze that. And you can make yourself like a, a strawberry milkshake kind of thing, but it's cool. just fruit. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to get this recipe for you. We'll start a new show called Cooking with Mike. Cooking with Mike. <laughs> and Garmeyer. Yeah. Well, I'll be the, I'll be the judge and I'll just taste test everything. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Do you have any emotional support food out on the trail, Derek? Um, I don't know. It's probably very different from Jeff, but I know like from reading some of your old reports, Jeff, like I know you're, you don't really like take a stove and you don't make a real coffee on the way, but like, um, I love having like good coffee in the morning and I know this sounds super bougie and fancy, but like, to me, it's worth it to bring a stove just for that. <laughs> like my last bikepacking trip, I brought a stove specifically to make pour over coffee, which I know sounds super lame, but to me it was worth it. And it was kind of like my emotional support thing. So it was cold in the morning. I was like, I just want something warm and hot that tastes good. So yeah, I don't know, not food, yeah. but it's a liquid. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And I think it's important to put out there that, I mean, I know that 
goldfish are kind of a weird little kid snack, but I just like them. And everyone's emotional support food is going to be completely different. And I think it can be coffee or it's as much a sensation or a taste or whatever, or yeah, just the hot coffee in the morning or whatever it may be. It's as much that is whatever the actual food is. So yeah, I think, you know, if you do it in moderation out there on the trail, it has huge benefits mentally. So I don't know. I wouldn't feel guilty or bad about pour over coffee. It is pretty bougie, but I, I understand that <laughs> a warm cup of coffee in the morning on a cold morning is one of the nicest things. Oh yeah. It, and it affects me way more than just like, Oh, I brought some caffeine tablets or something or whatever drink mixed with caffeine. And like, I'm sure it's just a mental thing that I could probably get over. But to me, I'm just like, Oh, this is nice. I like it. I enjoy it. So I'm going to do it. But then it's funny because I don't bring food to cook at night or in the morning. I just eat bars. Like, <laughs> so whatever. you just use your stove once for coffee and you carry it the rest of the time. Yeah. Go ahead and make fun of me, but it's true. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it, if it works, but yeah, we'll have to get rid of that stove for when you go for the Arizona trail FKT. You know, I actually have thought about it, like things that I can do. It's like such a simple thing. And I'm sure if I just did a couple longer efforts without, without it, I'd be totally fine. But uh, I just like it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No needed. I mean, 90%, probably 95% of the things we do are not based on like results. So especially for those things, why mess with something that takes the enjoyment out of it? So when I, I go on fast packing trips, I'll even throw in a pair of sweats because at the end of the evening or in the night, it's just a little bit more comfortable. And if I'm 10 minutes slower on the whole adventure, it doesn't really matter, but I enjoyed it more. So I think that that's a huge factor that we sometimes lose even carrying extra stuff on a 20 mile run can make it so much more enjoyable and you're adding maybe a, a few ounces but why not enjoy your long run rather than have to just like fight through it speaking of that jeff let's talk about luxury items for a second because it seems like like you've watched any like through hiking or backpacking video and like oh you can take one luxury item with you <laughs> and like yeah sometimes they are heavy and add up but do you think there's like a like a mental benefit of carrying something or even a physical benefit of like, okay, this is going to weigh four more ounces in my kit, but I'll sleep better tonight or I'll perform better throughout the day. Like, what are your thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I think, I think to some degree there is. So I would say my luxury item, especially this time of year in Montana and we have snow and mud is I'll throw in it's not even a cool luxury item, but like an extra pair of socks or something. Cause it's just so much nicer to start your day with dry, clean socks in the morning, rather than putting on like something gross from the night before. And this is more for an outing or just was in the Tetons doing a fast packing trip. And I think, yeah, that's, I don't know. I always ask for socks for my birthday and Christmas and stuff. Cause I just love the new sock feel and stuff. So when I I'm rich and famous, you know, that's all I'm going to wear a pair of new socks every single day. But uh, so that's just my example. I probably eliminated most other comforts from my luxury item kit. But I think there's this huge. So you're putting yourself in discomfort. And what is bringing you back to mental enjoyment along the way? And I think those luxury items or like a comfort item, or if this if a wind shirt makes your trip a little bit better or even uh, peace of mind of putting a windbreaker in your pack for a 50k I think those things can all sort of eliminate that anxiety help you enjoy it more and be present more out there and there's some very wide-ranging things that through hikers bring but I do think 
that mental side and that enjoyment and eliminating that those trepidations and anxiety is super important, often more important than, you know, how well you're moving and stuff because anxiety, mental health, uh, trepidations, they all weigh on that mental health. Like you might look at a storm or rain coming in and it might worry you, but if you have that thing in your pack that makes you feel more comfortable with it, you're just going to have a way better outing, whether it's 10 miles or 50 miles. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mike, do you have anything to add on top of that? No, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> nailed it. I did. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. No need to add anything else to that. <laughs> yeah. I did have one more question, though, about just uh, FKT nutrition before we hop back into Cocodona. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I'm curious to know, Jeff, when you get to that day three, day four area, do you turn, does your stomach turn into like a bottomless pit, basically? Yeah. Uh, it, it can be a bottomless pit and it can eat anything out there. Even on a race, I think after like 24 hours or something, I could eat anything. And it's, then it's about choosing, making the right choices rather than the quick and convenient ones. But yeah, FKTs, um, it is hard. That's why I usually get gallon Ziploc bags, one for each day. And they range in calories a little bit just by terrain planning and part of the trip and how many reserves I'm trying to burn up on that day. But that's why I have to like ration my food or have it in those like set up like that, or else I would eat through everything. Like on the Colorado trail, I was pretty not, didn't have a big appetite for three or four days. And then it came back so big that I ate all the calories I couldn't get down in the first three or four days. And by the end of the trip, I ran out of food just because I could eat so much. So it, it does turn into that. And it's, I've had to come up with tools so that I'm smart about it rather than just eat anything and everything possible. Yeah. It's a hard balance to find. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause you're never, your body can't even process enough calories per hour to keep up with something like a nine day trip or a nine day FKT or two week FKT or whatever it is. But you also need to have enough constant fuel throughout it that you cannot binge and then just be out of everything, especially when you're out there unsupported. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but, um, I mean, obviously you probably crave salt because you talk about goldfish, but like me, like for real food, like the saltier, the better, like my, oh, yeah. <laughs> my big comfort food slash weakness out there. It's a uh, chicken wings, <laughs> which oh. like, <laughs> Have you ever had that in the middle of an FKT attempt? No, but at the end of the Colorado trail, I uh, told friends that were meeting me in Denver at the end that I wanted chicken wings there. So it, same exact thing. <laughs> there's something about those. I don't know what it is. It's like Especially the breading. They're salty enough. They have like sauce and flavor and they're satisfying. Yeah. I don't know. They're yeah. so good. <laughs> <laughs> but I know for me, like the problem is, is they're obviously just covered in seed oils and <clears throat> every single time I've gotten like a bunch of chicken wings. Um, like when I did the Arizona trail FKT, Derek and Jeff met me. Um, remember where that was that you met me, Derek, that was just outside of Flagstaff. Yeah. It was on the way up to snowball. Okay. Yeah. So they met me there and brought me some, well, I don't know if they brought me some or if Sarah went and got some, but regardless, I had chicken wings there. 
And the next day I woke up and my legs just like swelled up like a balloon. It was awful. <laughs> That's <laughs> was the scary thing. That's the scary thing about supported is you're going to have this craving and you can satisfy it within a few hours. <laughs> At least when you're unsupported or self-supported, like I've eliminated some of those urges or tendencies to be like, oh man, I really could go for... I don't know, a soda or something. It's like, well, that's not going to help me in the long run, but so it's just like less attainable. So it's almost like this check and balance of, I don't get someone to bring me food. And I think that kind of helps a little bit, at least in that realm is I have what I have and better find some way to enjoy it. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to take a crap at self-supported next time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. Do you have anything else on that, Derek, before we shift back to Coca-Dona? Let's jump back to Coca-Dona before we run out of time. I'm curious about all that too. Yeah. So I'm curious, Jeff, and just to give a little bit of, uh, from my perspective, what I saw happen, basically I woke up from friendly pines, decided to get after it again, put my head down and just started running. Usually in these two hundreds, I use my phone every few hours to check the tracker just to see where everybody's at. I don't know if you do that too or not. (laughs) Not this year. Not this year. (laughs) Well, same thing with me. I got rid of my phone and I stopped doing that this year just because I wanted to run and catch up. But I honestly had no idea where you were. Like, I remember we, we went into friendly pines together. I said I was going to sleep and you, if I remember right, were debating about sleeping, but you also were starting to feel better. So you kind of wanted to ride that high. Um, so yeah, I had no idea where you were, uh, but I got to, I want to say it was Jerome or dead horse um one of those two aid stations and like every time i got to an aid station i asked my crew like who was ahead of me and so it was one of those two aid stations they're like oh jeff is about probably six miles ahead of you and that was the first time i heard about you for like since friendly pines i was like holy cow like awesome his race turned around for him so i'm curious to know where exactly it turned around for you and then um how nutrition played a part in that for the final 180 miles or whatever it was. Yeah, I think friend or yeah, probably when met you and Pete at Camp Kippa and then we had like the camaraderie of at least jogging down the hills and stuff. That's where I got a lot of that confidence of like, okay, my body still works. I've slept none. I've depleted it of everything, but it still works. And that's all I needed mentally to just continue pushing. So it was like, well, I basically gave up my sleep to lay on the ground puking instead. So I'm probably not going to sleep for the first two days of this thing. Um, But yeah, it was just that confidence that came back around there. And then after you get a pacer, um, it started really turning around. And I told just like you, I told everyone, like, I don't even want to know where I'm at. I just want to keep moving. I told my crew, like, I want every aid station to be really quick and efficient because I'm moving good. And I don't want to waste any time I just needed to keep pushing forward and it's not like I'm thinking I'm going to do that well but it's like I'm still going to finish this thing and I got to keep knocking out miles while the miles are going really well and so it just built on itself and then kind of right at the early morning of day so in the second night at the end of the second night that's when like the wall hit and I was seeing pirate ships and chicken feet sticking out of the ground and all this stuff going into aid station around, I don't know. Oh, the one before Sedona, whichever one that is. Deer Pass. Yep. You were were taking a nap there. That's where I 
I think I came in 10 minutes after you and you were already sleeping. Oh yeah. I've never fallen asleep so quick in my life. Like I could not do anything because everything hit there, took a nap and then started running again. And it was, uh, yeah, I think it just kept building on itself of, oh, it's mile 160, still running decent pace. And then it's like mile 200. So it just kept building this confidence as I went of like, my legs feel good. I just am still depleted fighting against all this stuff. But it it was that initial puzzle of like crown king onward of slowly put myself back together. And then once got pretty close to feeling good, it just became this thing of like, now I need to feel like I'm racing and keep going. And that's sort of how the progression went of this first step is we need food and water to be staying down. And then it became, we need to get back to somewhat of a baseline as much as you can during a race. And then from there, once, I don't know, I'm weird about mileage, but once it's like 80 miles to the end, it's like, that's no big deal. Let's just keep pushing forward and uh, like running pretty well. I even Fort Tuthill ran like eight or nines out of there. I chugged a Red Bull, which was, I don't even know why I'm like, I got to just fight the sleep monster. Let's just pour in as much uh, chemical on top of that to try to run. And I ran like half that thing. And then I just hit the wall again and all the, all of Walnut Canyon turned into robots and I just could not see anything. (laughs) And it, it was crazy. So the highs and lows were pretty massive in that race. And I think it is a little bit due to trying to the last half of it, basically trying to do these quick fixes of like Red Bull caffeine or uh, Coca-Cola and stuff. But at that point it was like, well, let's just leave it all on the line and try to push. And it came back to bite me around mile 200, but not enough that I couldn't finish and did fairly well. But it was a really eye-opening race of no matter how far you fall back, like, I don't know, 90th place or something like that, like, still moving up past 85 people or something is pretty attainable so it was a really tough race especially emotionally overall but I'm going to take more lessons from that whole turnaround and even the knowledge of these quick fixes are just pouring rocket fuel on the the fire and it working for 10 miles and then sort of shutting down like these are all really good lessons that I'm pretty stoked to take forward because in, you read other race reports or talk to other runners and they all, all have unique strategies and actually getting to experience some of them for myself and seeing what worked and didn't work was really good. Like could have done better if I just quit throwing it all on the line so early. It's almost like I burned all my matches and then kind of just uh, got through the rest of it. But it's pretty fun looking back and seeing um, triumphs and mistakes and putting my body back together on the run and then coming in with, I'm pretty happy with just finishing it. And then it wasn't too bad of a finish either. I have like three or four questions from all that. <laughs> uh, so was this your, was this your fastest Coca finish out of the three? I think it was about the same as last year. Okay. And, and it's a harder it, course though, right? Yeah. It wrecked me more for sure. Harder course and you had more issues than last year, right? Yeah. Yep. So the future's yeah. bright. That's awesome, dude. <clears throat> um, did you have any of Chris Thornley's famous uh, meatballs at Fort Tuttle? No, I didn't. What did I have there? 
Oh, I don't know. I barely had anything. It was like 40 miles to go. There's a lot, there's like six or seven people just ahead. I need to get out of here in like five minutes and going into <laughs> that, they had the live stream going and wanted to talk. And I told my pacer, Kylo, I was like, can you just like tell them I don't want to be on the live stream. I want to be <laughs> out of here in two minutes. And so she actually told the poor volunteer to F off and that I didn't want to be on the live stream. <laughs> did she use those exact words? I think she did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but she apologized later, she says, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> but it was like just such in my zone in my own race at that point that any yeah. external stuff, I think I I picked at some stuff, ate on the run and just kept going because 40 miles, you know, that's like not even a full day out on a through hike. So I was smelling <laughs> the end and had to keep pushing. That's awesome. <laughs> um so I have one more question then I'll let you go, Derek. I've been talking a lot, but, uh, you know, for me, when I, when things turned around for me, I still had some like weird stomach issues and I'm sure you heard that I essentially just drank a bunch of milk for the rest of my race. Yeah. Was there anything that was like a go-to for you for that last part of the race that was just working? Oh man. Um, I don't, not really, uh, a lot of just snacking I think I ate a lot of pretzels or something just like the easiest driest thing to keep down it was like saltines and pretzels sour patch kids I did none of my own advice to get through that thing <laughs> and uh no yeah, goldfish? it was uh there were some goldfish in there too I just did not eat a lot I mostly depended on caffeine for two days and really went into this massive calorie deficit i I'm down 15 pounds right now from when I started Cocodona and wow. two thirds of that I lost during the race and just, yeah, it was, it was just piecing together. Nutrition had so many issues. And I heard when you were going through, um, wherever I was sleeping that you just projectile vomited and kept running. Is that story true? No, okay. <laughs> no, I, I had this weird gag reflex for the whole race. So I'm sure I was gagging at that okay. A station but I only threw up once and that was at Walnut Canyon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I did throw up there and I just don't remember it, but I'm pretty sure I just gagged a bunch and then took off. <laughs> what a nice sight to see someone running <laughs> nine or 10 minute miles, just gagging their way down the trail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no short of a courtesy at a ultra race. No. <laughs> or not courtesy, but like decency i don't know what the right word is etiquacy etiquacy there we go <laughs> yeah etiquacy is lost at mile 50 i would say yeah <laughs> <laughs> what about you derek you have any other questions on that uh, i have a, i have a couple of questions but not even related to nutrition at all but just in general like i think if people follow you jeff on like on instagram and stuff they see how you just like you train hard but you also just have a good time with like or you try to have a good time and make it fun like like wearing your cat outfit and wearing Crocs and all this stuff. Like, it's honestly like, it's super fun to watch, but then you go out and you crush these FKTs and like, it's not like you can just go out there and like not plan things, but like, how do you find that balance between like having a really good time and like not taking life too seriously, but then also like when, when it really counts or when you really need to, how do you like throw down the hammer like that? Yeah. So I'm super competitive, but I bury that a, like an inch deep under the surface of like, well, I found my passion 12 years ago during a standard through hike at the PCT. And I keep going back to that of like, I love doing this outside and having that competitiveness and races, you almost have to throw 
a tool or two out there to just that reminder that this is fun and I enjoy it even when it's really hard. And so, I don't know, putting it out there and every year I do try to break my PR in Crocs in a local Bozeman race every, the first weekend in August. So I just love doing those little wrinkles that make it not boring. They make it more fun. And it's like this little check of like, I'm so competitive. I'm always going to give it my best out there and try really hard, but I also have to remember to look around a little bit and enjoy it because that actually aids in the competitiveness because you can't be a hundred percent competitive all the time, but you're going to give your best out there. And it's like, also, if I'm looking at myself and smiling because I look ridiculous and other people are, it's just such a better environment to uh, do it in. And that's kind of why ultra running and racing has, once I got into it and started has been so fun because it's a, a bunch of weirdos that are choosing to run 250 miles. And it's such a fun community where, now jean shorts have been made into running shorts. I think it's just such a, a funny <laughs> aspect of such a weird decision to pay money to go run. I would 100% agree with that. And I think on that note, a very positive note, um, let's wrap it up here. Uh, we all, we got to go out and train and, and work and stuff, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I do have a phone call I have to hop on. Um, real quick though, Jeff, just really curious, what do you have next? Oh man, uh, I'm doing Muggy and Monster in September. And until then, depending on snow, especially in the Sierra, uh, I'll probably attempt a pretty prestigious FKT. So we'll see. Awesome. <laughs> I'm excited to see nice. that. <laughs> yeah, and, same. Oh, go ahead. And just to confirm, Jeff, on Instagram, you're the free outside, right? Yeah, free outside was taken, so I had to put the in front of it. <laughs> Same thing with low carb runner. I had to add the in front of it. <laughs> yeah, should have been but, the real free outside. Yeah. It makes it cool though. Add some notoriety to it, right? It's like I'm not free outside. I'm the free outside. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, I've tried to message a guy to get it a few times, but he's never responded. So I'll just stick with that. It's even cooler to be the. Yeah, <laughs> validates you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, cool, Jeff. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us. Um, we'll have to have you on again. I feel like we had to rush this a little bit just because my schedule is all of our schedules are busy, but yeah, we'll definitely have you on again sometime. You're like six hours away. So let's get out on an epic run one of these days. Yeah. Hoping right. to make it up to crazy mountain. If I do, I'll come find you. Ooh, yeah. I'll be pacing. So I'll be around. Okay. Awesome. Well, cool. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, We'll catch with you next week, I guess. All yeah, right. we'll wrap Thanks it up here. All right, I guess that's it. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for the stop recording thing. <laughs> okay, we're stopping. I'll stop the recording here. But Jeff, that was oh, awesome. Okay. Thanks for um, taking the time to do that. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks for having me. It was a <laughs> quick hour. Wow, that flew by. Yeah, no yeah. joke. Uh, we really should do a show another time too because there's like, I don't know. That was just super fun and interesting. And there's so many more things we could talk about. So let's definitely yeah, do it again. Absolutely. And talk about the progression from eating like a child on my first through hike to actually caring what I eat is always interesting too. But yeah, we'll find a time and we'll see you guys around. Okay. Cool. Sounds, sounds good. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks, guys. guys. All right. Later, guys.